0: Well, friends, we do come before the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and whose word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the month of June, we are working through four of the Ten Commandments. Commandments are not popular with Americans. I don't really like commandments. you like people telling you what to do? Really? Can I tell you what to do? No response. So... You should know, commandments 6 through 9 have to do with how we treat one another. In the original language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, these four commandments are two words long. They are short and quick and guttural and intense. You know, there's no, like, lofty, thou shalt not murder. It doesn't read like that in the original scriptures. It's no kill. And this week, no adultery. No steal. No lies. Does that seem clear? And yet we find a million and one ways around all of these things all the time. Because quite frankly, these commandments don't suit us all that well. So today, commandment number seven. Do you remember what happened to the first set of the Ten Commandments? God gave them to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Moses is coming down the mountain, and everybody was like, all right, Ten Commandments for how to live our lives. That is now what happened. There was a big idolatrous party. People were behaving horribly, breaking all the commandments. So Moses took the two tablets and smashes them on the mountain before he even makes it down and can share with the people the word of God. And we haven't changed all that much since then. But a second set of commandments was made. Reading from Exodus chapter 34, here's what happened next. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets, like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then, just to be clear... God comes down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh, the living one. And as God passed in front of Moses, proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, of bounding in steadfast love. Does that sound like an angry and judgmental God to you? If I can put it this way, this is God's... Job description for himself in the Old Testament okay? These four phrases Compassionate and gracious Slow to anger And abounding in steadfast love Are repeated dozens and dozens of times In the Old Testament If God had a business card It would look like this It would just say God And here's, what I, here's who I am Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger Abounding in steadfast love Deal with me people Now we run a danger in this month of June working with the Ten Commandments of falling into a trap of thinking of God in exactly the opposite terms. That God is small-minded and judgmental, quick to anger and eager to punish you when you do bad things. That is not the heart of God and that is not where the Ten Commandments come from. God is not cosmically out here and drops the Ten Commandments on the human race just to demonstrate what wretched failures we are all the time. That is not the point. God is not out to kill our fun. God is out, if you can believe this, even with the Ten Commandments, to increase our joy in living. You got me on that? The Ten Commandments exist to increase your joy, not to squash your freedom, but to give you the gift of true freedom, which only comes through exercising our gifts and potentials through the proper limits. We get so easily confused on this. What if there was a soccer game and some random person ran out on this field and picked up the ball instead? He's like, I'm free! I can pick up the ball! That would be rugby. right? (laughs) It's not soccer any longer. In the same way, there are rules that govern the moral fabric of the universe and when we abide by them, we are more free than when we just do our own thing and pick up whatever ball or rock we want to. So here's the seventh commandment. Just quite simply, no adultery. To put it in our common language, no cheating. Right? That's what we say these days. If you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, no cheating. Now the other side of this coin the positive side, the inviting side, is, are words like this, loyalty, faithfulness, keeping your word. And this really old-fashioned word that you're going to hear a lot today, chastity. When's the last time you read chastity in a magazine, or on a blog post, or heard it on a TV, or in a movie? You no, know, people drinking coffee? You know what? I've been thinking a lot about chastity lately. Please laugh (laughs) We're not in a good way on this If you're starting to feel like Oh, this is getting awkward and uncomfortable Just wait (laughs) Sixty years ago A man from Great Britain named C.S. Lewis uh, Wrote this about the cultural state of affairs Chastity is the most unpopular Of all the Christian virtues Amen Amen there is no getting away from it, however. The old Christian rule is this. Okay? Thousands of years people have thought this. Either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner, or else total abstinence. Now this is so difficult, again 60 years ago in Great Britain, so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously, one of two things, either Christianity is wrong Or our sexual instinct, as it now is in this broken and fallen world, is wrong. (laughs) One or the other. Take your pick. Of course, being a Christian, C.S. Lewis says, I think it's my instinct which has gone all wrong. So we come to a fundamental parting of the ways here at the beginning of this message. Like, when it comes to talking about chastity and no cheating, one of two things. Either the old Christian way of faithfulness within the context of a committed marriage relationship, and beyond that, abstinence. The other way, which is much more common in our American thought, is, hey, if you have two consenting adults who are of age, who are any of us to say anything beyond that? Like, if it's what you like, if that's what you prefer, more power to you. Two very different roads, and there's really not a whole lot of overlap with with these two roads need to recognize that as a Christian person, if you take the second road, the modern road, you're really saying a pretty proud thing. It's that the 2,000 years of human beings who are not very different than us, 2,000 years of culture, really had it all wrong. And we, in our superintelligence and modern enlightenment, have finally gotten to a better way. We experience a serious tension with this issue of cheating as Americans. Like, on the one hand, as I just said, we honor total personal freedom. That is our democratic trump card. You know, If you want to do it, who are any of us to say that it's wrong? However, we also have this American predilection when it comes to cheating to really like knowing who is cheating and then to kind of look down our noses and wag our fingers and be kind of appalled by them at the same time. See Tiger Woods. See any tabloid magazine. Read People magazine. Right? Celebrity news, this is what dri- like drives a big part of the train. We are both acknowledging and resisting the moral foundation of chastity at all times. We are remarkably hypocritical and, resist- and inconsistent about this. Like, I don't have it figured out. I'm American, so I kind of feel both ways myself. To make matters even more complicated and difficult, there is Jesus. And he preached this awesome sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, in which he quoted a number of the Ten Commandments. And here is how our Lord and Savior and wisest human being ever put it. You have heard that it was said, no adultery, no cheating. Seventh Commandment. Yes, Jesus, we all know it. Okay. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, or to be fair, a man lustfully has already committed adultery in his or her own heart. Oh, huh. okay, that makes matters significantly worse, right? It's not just what you do, it's Jesus is taking it to your imagination, your thought life, your dream life, your fantasy life. And then here's the solution. Brutal. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to just lose one part of yourself than to lose your whole body and be thrown into hell. I'm hoping Jesus' is experience is it speaking, you know, hyperbolically with exaggeration right here. Otherwise, the whole world will be blind shortly if we were seriously following Jesus, right? So I had a friend in middle school and high school. You know, we were in a Christian school, had Bible class. And when we came to this discussion, and he said something like this, if thinking about it is just as bad as doing it, I might as well just do it all the time then. Feel free to laugh. (laughs) That was not Jesus' point. Obviously, there are a whole realm of consequences that come with actual off-target sexual behavior that that don't come with internal mental off-target sexual behavior. Jesus' point is when it comes to adultery and faithfulness and loyalty and cheating, he is trying to put us all, every single one of us, into the same boat. Because which of us who has lived past, I don't know, 12 or 14, pick your age, 17, 20, which one of us is absolutely perfect along these lines? I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pastor. I'm a pre- professional, nice person. By Jesus' standard, I have broken every single commandment a lot. I hope you're with me. We are all imperfectly keeping God's Ten Commandments. Now, this sounds profoundly unfun, right? And I told you this was supposed to make you joyful at the end. Hopefully, we'll get there. Hopefully, we'll get there. Now... Among the blessings of our modern and technological world, and there are many in terms of connecting and communicating, there are also some curses that come along with it. I am just old enough, I grew up and went through high school and part of college without the internet. Okay? Does anybody else remember those days? It was a long, long time ago. There was a day before there were even printed glossy magazines. Okay? Second awkward word of the day. Pornography. Porn. I do need to say something along these lines, because it's a pretty f- fair and unanswered question. Is experiencing pornography, whether you're single or married or whatever age, is that breaking the seventh commandment? Do you hear the question? God says, no cheating." And there's this like worldwide experience of uh, more and more um, access and experience with pornography. How do those fit together? Just very simply and baldly, not well. Pornography, regularly viewing pornography, falling into the pit of pornography, the addiction of pornography, however light or extreme you want to go with it, is a violation fundamentally of this commandment. And again, it is not that God is sitting in heaven, you know, appalled at what has happened on the internet. And looking at the whole human race and like, man, these people are the most wretched generation ever on the face of the planet. We're not any different. We just have like universal access to this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Once there weren't magazines, and then there were print magazines, and then like adolescents started hiding print magazines in the corner of their basement. And then the internet get- got invented, and all you need is a smartphone and you know a thumb and how to type, and there it is. It's that easy these days. God is not appalled by this. God is not surprised by this. Our nature is not getting worse. Just our access to creating a maelstrom of craziness in our sexual instinct exists in our day and age like it has never existed before. Our world is getting more complicated, not simpler, along these lines. Here's why... Porn is a problem. It disconnects us from reality. It disconnects us from each other. It doesn't generally help us be loyal or faithful or available or transparent and honest with the people that we live with and the people who matter most to us. Do you hear me on this? It's not that God is like, you're looking at it and I'm super mad. It's like God has created us to genuinely know and love each other, and anything that gets in the way of that, and porn is a huge roadblock of us loving each other in a real way, anything that gets in the way of that breaks God's heart because it breaks us apart. That is the problem. God's not giving these commandments just to... Clamp down on us, but he cares about us living joyfully and authentically and freely together. If you look at a little bit of porn, it hurts you a little bit. If you look at a little more, it poisons you a little bit. If you work up to a full-time, full-time non-stop addiction, it will kill your love and will kill your heart. Walked into a dorm room or a dorm, a dorm, not too long ago. There was a big poster on the first floor: "Porn kills love." I was like, like kind of taken aback. I was just like, dropping by a school, you know, just like you dropped by church this morning and you didn't know you were going to get all this, right? Like, I see this poster, like, ah. And I thought about it. I was like, is that true? I mean, love is love is the most powerful force in the universe. And I thought, yeah, maybe it's true. Like, porn. Porn hurts love, or porn will wound love. And the more and more I thought about it, like, yeah, if taken to a really deep extreme, it will kill love. It will do that. So if you're feeling totally awkward at this point, it's, it's not going to get better. Um, <laughs> this is not just me talking at you I'm trying to share stuff that is deeper than my own right, personal ruminations on this so there exists in our tradition uh, something called the Heidelberg Catechism written almost 500 years ago there were no glossy magazines there was no internet human nature has not changed here's a great question does God in the seventh commandment no cheating forbid nothing more than just adultery will you read the answer with me Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. What I really like about this response is it's not just, hey people, don't misbehave, don't be bad. The first half of the answer is all positive stuff. D- did you hear this? It's tough for us to, like, feel this and with all this negative, ah, don't, just don't, going on. But here's the answer. What is God trying to get at in the seventh commandment? No cheating. He is trying to remind us that we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not just you, is what I'm saying. Like we run around all the time thinking, hey, I'm me. What do I want to do with my freedom? What do I want to do with my thoughts, my money, my heart, my spirit, my potentials? And the catechism and the scriptures are reminding us, you know what? God not only made each one of us. If you are following Jesus, God has planted his Holy Spirit inside you. You are not your own. You are a house of the Holy Spirit. So the next time you want to do something that might hurt yourself... It's too lazy just to ask yourself, hey, do I want to do this or not? Would this feel good or not? You need to ask yourself, hey, is this a good way to treat the place that God has chosen to hang out and live? That's kind of weighty, right? But if God actually lives there, the things that make God happy, like connecting with other people, keeping promises being loyal, like, those are the kind of things that start to happen. And that is, like, that's the best game in town. That's better than getting to look at whatever you want to look at. That's better than getting to eat whatever you want to eat. It's a way of living, of connecting, of being with one another that is deep and good. Now, we have strong instincts against this, right? Right? I mean, in a fallen world, we have biology, we have psychology, we have emotional needs that frequently drive us in the direction of cheating in whatever way, shape, or form is most appealing to you. Um, this, is, this is nothing new. Uh, over sabbatical time in April and May for me, one of the things I was up to is I spent quite a bit of time Uh, studying and reading about Francis of Assisi. I've always been fascinated by him as a Christian person. He lived about 800 years ago. Um, He had a radical conversion in his early 20s and vowed to live in poverty and vowed to live in chastity for the rest of his life. He was never a priest. He was never a formal pastor. But as far as I can tell, in Western history, he is the most committed Comical because he was really funny, musical, uh, like passionate person about following Jesus' example and giving up everything that would stop him from staying connected with God. So he's really holy, right? Sometimes we call him St. Francis. As far as the seventh commandment goes, sometimes St. Francis struggled so much that his only solution was to climb into an icy river in winter up to his navel and just stand there. St. Francis referred to his body as brother donkey. (laughs) Donkeys are not easy to command or tame, right? They're unruly and stubborn, and Francis was like, this is the body I'm walking around in. I want to love you, God, and I am a donkey. It wasn't just his biology. In a a noble way, there were times in Francis' life that he longed to be married to have a spouse, to have companionship, human companionship, to have children. There was another winter where Francis was so longing for this that on a snowy afternoon, he made himself a snow wife, a snow boy, and a snow daughter. And he spent an afternoon alternately weeping because he was never to have a family because of his vows to God and just laughing at himself. Because what could be better than the the life that God had given him? Even for the most holy among us, this is what I'm trying to say, this is not an easy part of life. And we are all in the same boat. Our world is getting more permissive by the day. Have you noticed this? At least in my lifetime, we are getting more permissive along the lines of the Ten Commandments by the day. Our world, at least our North American culture, is also getting, in my lifetime, a little darker and unhappier as a year follows a year. I believe this is so because the freedom promised to us by our cultural value of if you want it and get it, you'll be happy, that formula doesn't actually produce joy and freedom. The little formula of If you like it, if you want it, and then you get it, if that happens to you again and again and again, what that ultimately produces, friends, is bondage and slavery and paralysis of your will and of your soul. I do believe, difficult as it is, I do believe in the old Christian value of chastity. Our sexual nature is meant for marriage and loyalty and faithfulness, and if his marriage isn't part of the deal, then you walk the really difficult road of abstinence. I got married when I was 19. Totally don't know how difficult it is. Okay? And there is so much that can go wrong around the seventh commandment. If you heard the old Christian phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin, this especially gets repeated around sexual issues and sexual behavior. Love the sinner, hate the sin. This phrase has never sat very well with me. I, I've heard it a million times. It just has always yeah, I don't quite know what to make with that. Something doesn't seem quite right. I think it's an uneasiness born out of how do you balance genuinely loving and judging at the same time. I can't find the place in my own little spirit where both of those are like holding hands and singing in harmony. But Jesus has helped us along these lines. There is an incredible story of Jesus at the beginning of John chapter 8. Jesus who demonstrates, I think, the best way to live out and respond to people who may be imperfectly keeping the seventh commandment. Okay? The story involves a woman, some religious leaders, and Jesus. Jesus. So there's this woman. She has been caught breaking, literally breaking, the seventh commandment, caught in the act of cheating. The religious leaders bring her before Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, gracious, kind, gentle Jesus, you're telling people the truth all the time, what are we supposed to do with her? You know in the Old Testament that it says to punish her, to stone her to death. So what should we do? Because here she is, she's broken the law. And Jesus does the most unusual thing in this moment. He gets down, I don't know if he squats, gets down on a knee, he starts starts writing on the ground, and the Bible does not tell us what Jesus writes. By the way, this is the only instance in all the Bible of Jesus writing. But it's amazing what happens. Jesus is scribbling in the dirt, and the Bible says this, One by one, the accusers turned their back and went away, starting with the oldest and the wisest. What? What could Jesus write on the ground that would totally change and transform this horrible moment? I don't know, but I have some suspicions, okay? Here's what I think. Say there's a group of 20 religious leaders gathered around and they're like, are we going to kill her or not? Jesus maybe writes, July 17, 1985. I mean, it would be a different year, right? Long time ago. (laughs) And one of these 20 accusers is like... (gasps) Because he remembers exactly what happened on July 17, 1985. And he's like, how could he? What? And he turns around and leaves. Maybe Jesus writes the name of a particular inn in Jerusalem that one of these guys likes to frequent. And this guy thinks, what? How does Jesus know that I go there? And he turns, and Jesus keeps writing. Maybe times, dates, names, a place... Like, wouldn't this be horrible if Jesus got on the ground in church and started writing stuff? I mean, would we not all have something that Jesus could write two words and we would be, like, cut to the quick of, like, oh, who am I? Am I the only one? After Jesus has scribbled on the ground for a little bit, he says to the woman... Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No, sir, no one. And then Jesus says, And here is the gospel for you today, brothers and sisters. Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you, but go now and leave your life of sin. Did Jesus condemn her? No. Nobody condemned her. Did Jesus condone her? No, Jesus did not condone her. What Jesus did was he freed her in this moment to imagine a different way, to start down a different path. Jesus in this moment is trying to empower her loyalty and faithfulness, even chastity, if I can use that crazy word. Love the sinner, hate the sinner, the sin, we like to say, but if we would really follow Jesus and the gospel that he lived in this story, what we would do is love the sinner, which is everybody, and hate our own sin. Because that's what Jesus pointed out to the self-righteous people who wanted to judge this woman. He got them just for a brief moment to acknowledge and recognize their own sin. When it comes to the Ten Commandments and issues of morality, after you get rid of your own sin perfectly, I mean totally get rid of your own sin, that's the moment where you can begin talking freely about the sin of your sister or brother or friend or spouse. In conclusion... For sure, some of us at the end of this message, there are many of us feeling like, yep, I am totally breaking the seventh commandment in my life all the time, right now, earlier today, yesterday, the day before. uh, This is a crazy tough one for me. If you are feeling the weight of that today, please know like the woman in John 8, Jesus, the presence of God in this room today is not here to condemn you it is not here to condone you either and just say keep on the presence of god and the gospel is in this room today to invite you to take an unflinching look at where you are today your habits your behavior patterns your mental life your fantasy life to invite you to take all of that and to hold it up against the second command seventh commandment which says don't cheat be faithful be loyal And to wonder about yourself, oh boy, how do I proceed in following Jesus? And please know, God wants you to be free. I want you to be free. You might be a slave today, a slave to yourself, a slave to porn. It might seem unthinkable that this could all stop. I promise you, by God's grace, Something could change for you tomorrow. Three months from now, you could be a totally different, reformed, free person with God's grace, a little bit of time, some Christian companionship, some honesty and love. Three months. You might really need to talk to somebody. You might need a staff member from this church to help you along the way. We could do that. God wants you to be free. Secondly, secondly, There might be some of us sitting here today who are like, you know, as far as the Seventh Commandment goes, like, I'm in a pretty good spot. My life's pretty good. Um, I can't remember the last time I had an inappropriate thought. It's been years. Insert laughter here. (laughs) There might be some of us, however, who are feeling pretty good and healthy about this. The invitation for you if you are a respectable Christian person in every way, shape, or form, is to love the people around you and go farther in hating your own sin. That, as far as I can tell, is the gospel message of Jesus. And in doing that, to go deeper in being a loyal and faithful friend and a loyal, faithful spouse and a loyal, faithful lover in the holy sense of the word... Be loyal and faithful to those that you have committed yourself to. That makes other people happy. That makes you happy. That makes the heart of God dance with joy. Finally, in heaven, please rest assured that you'll never have to hear a sermon like this again. (laughs) Amen. All the sex stuff, all our crazy behavior along the lines of this part of our existence, will be in the rearview mirror. Praise God. Jesus says that in heaven... We will neither be marrying nor given in marriage. He plants the seed of a vision where we are so connected and mutually understanding and knowing each other that the connection and intimacy that we feel through sexual behavior, healthy or not, seems just like a pale comparison of the awesomeness that is going on in the presence of God up there. What ultimately defines us, brothers and sisters is not our sexual behavior, not our biology, not our genetic makeup, not our personal preferences, not our gender identity. What ultimately defines us is our connectedness to God and intimacy with Jesus Christ, who, apart from our freedom, smiled on us and chose us and reached out through the blood of the cross to forgive people like us. In the meantime, before we get to that awesome place, Your best life, your most fulfilling life, your most free life comes from living in the presence of the one who promises to be with us to the very end of the age and to, as fully possible, be with the people that God has chosen and that you have promised yourself to be with. To be with a God whose calling card reads this way. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I wish you that kind of relationship and that kind of loyalty this week, friends. Amen. Can you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word, even when it's difficult and awkward. And God, we thank you that even though um, we are failing to keep your commandments almost with every breath we take, That you love us, forgive us, and that you are so faithful and good that you keep pointing us in the direction of the narrow path of Jesus Christ. Help us walk that path for his sake, for our own sake, for others' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. To totally switch gears on you, two announcements. Number one, uh, we have had an annual partnership with Spring Hill Camps from Evart, Michigan for the last... Oh, I think it's been six years. Five years? Um, are there Spring Hill counselors in the room? Right? Some. There are going to be uh, 40-some Spring Hill staff, almost 300 kids and campers this week taking over our entire church. Um, if in your prayers you could pray for everybody uh, to have a great experience, to be safe, but most especially uh, some kids will meet and commit to Jesus Christ this week. Some kids will take the next step and have some kind of spiritual transformation this week. This is what this camp is all about. Um, So please pray for exactly that uh, to happen. Secondly, um, we're a big church. This is a big room. Uh, We are trying to create smaller communities within this big community. And something that we are grassroots kind of launching and that will take effect this fall is something we are calling... A section leader ministry taking every part of the room and dividing it up into some smaller sections, and each section will have um, kind of a host whose job it is to help nurture a sense of togetherness and belonging and community. They will not be taking attendance. They will not be marking you absent. Right? This isn't about judgment. It's about experiencing real belonging in the midst of a bigger community. So this is um, being led by a partnership of our elders and a bunch of volunteer leaders. Um, so if you are a section leader today, would you stand at this point? I think our section, our new section leaders have uh, name tags actually on today. Notice they're sprinkled around the room. If you are uh, sitting near one of them, it might be a great thing to like say, hey, my name is blankety-blank, and I often sit here right? because we're creatures of habit. Oftentimes we sit in the same section. Um, Hopefully, this will be a beautiful thing to help our church weave closer together. So, thank you all. You can have a seat. I'm super thankful, because, like, this job is more than, like, our staff can do or pastors can do. So, awesome use of spiritual gifts. We have hit the point in our service um, where I'm going to invite the deacons forward and invite you as God's people to respond to God with tithes and offerings and give back to the one who has been so kind and generous with us. Uh, While we do that, Doug's going to sing a great song about uh, real relationships, and then we'll sing a final song together.